episode 12 welcome back and thank you everyone who's been tuning in and listening to the big run really appreciate all of your feedback and comments and if you are listening on a platform where you're able to leave a review or a rating or even better both then please do as it really helps the show Today's guest is one of the biggest running YouTubers out there and has recently come off the back of an amazing PR at the Naples Half Marathon in Florida. He's an amazingly positive guy and is a real source of inspiration for a lot of runners out there from mountain running, road running and everything in between. Ladies and gentlemen, butter that bread. It's Seth James Damore. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. How are the legs after Naples? How yeah, are you feeling? The legs, today is the first day, so we're four days after the race where my legs are starting to feel better, so Mm. that's good. Uh, It was interesting. This is my first half marathon on the roads in a decade, and so I didn't know how my legs would react, and so it was exactly 36 hours after the race where DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, set in, and it was was pretty fierce, Uh, so that would have been, I guess uh it's tuesday morning roughly so anyway now it's thursday and i'm starting to feel better nice man i've just been watching back actually through a couple of your videos prior to this um this interview and i was obviously the training leading into the naples marathon it was something it was a really focused period of time obviously you were training through the winter months as well which i mean the winters that you've been sort of training through pretty full on but there was one thing that you mentioned in a vlog recently you were talking about holding your peak volume and your peak volume for this block was about 130 miles and you were holding that for about three weeks during the block and you mentioned that perhaps holding it for that third week mentally kind of became perhaps a bit too much I mean what was it specifically mentally that you were facing during your training in that third week yeah it's uh it's the most volume I've done in a training block it's really ah i don't want to say ever because i've been at that level before but not for three weeks in a row i think what happens is that a lot of like our physiology is connected to our entire being our entire body including our mental state and so what began to happen is that everything started to get harder and harder Mm. you know simple things like walking around your house um, where the body is just kind of always on edge a little bit and not achy, but you can feel little things all the time. You know, not, I wouldn't even call it niggles, but just like you, and you know, for example, going to the gym and working out in the gym and getting stronger there just became a little bit of a battle. And so then that starts to, you start to maybe overthink you're overthink it a little bit and start to doubt your training and mm. you, and that can be, that can weigh on you a little bit mentally. Um, but, but, uh, after experience, you know, for a lot, a lot of running, I knew the taper was coming and tapering down into Naples. I knew that the, uh, body would react well to resting and to running less and less and less going into Naples. So, it was it was hard to wait for that moment where the taper began, but I had a lot of confidence, and sure enough, I did. I think I freshened up pretty well for Naples, where on the starting line, my legs did feel very recovered and fresh, so that was good. But it was it was not easy. Not to mention it was it was cold and it was Christmas time, and everybody's mm. 
everybody's at home drinking hot cocoa and I'm out, you know, running, running 20 miles. <laughs> what is that negotiation like then between obviously, you know, you're a family man, three children married, like what is that negotiation like then in terms of fitting in your training, you know, particularly at that time of year as well? Obviously, it's such, such a big holiday for your for your three children. Like, is there is there yeah. a negotiation that happens to allow you to be able to train at that level? There, there is there. I mean, you know, I had to talk. And so the reason I did a race January is because all the races in October, November, December were canceled or postponed. Usually I would never do a peak race in January because it's just very challenging to train at a high level in the winter time in Colorado. Usually the winter, like December, January, even February is like a good time to to rest and recover, but also just to kind of lay some base miles. Mm. Um, so that's why I did the January, but it definitely was hard. I would say a little bit on Bridget, my true love, um, where she had to take a little bit of the, a little more of the kind of, you know, taking care of the kids. And, um, but I did teach myself, this is a really amazing. I was waking up. So I did a lot of doubles where you run in the morning and then you run at night in this training block. And I've never been great at training at, you know, 4.30, 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. in the wintertime. It's just so cold. It's dark out. It was really, but this past training block, I trained myself mentally and physically to wake up early and I bought, you know, some new headlamps. I bought some new jackets. I even bought those crazy ski goggles, you know, because I don't, I don't like, I don't like to be, I personally don't like to be cold when I'm out running. And so I just, but the, the, buying really specific gear to keep me warm for the training in the morning really, really helped. Um, so that allowed me to knock out a lot of the volume when everybody else is sleeping in the house. Um, so anyway, that's like a little insight that I learned through the Naples half marathon. And were there, were there particular mental cues when that alarm went off at 4.30? Like you had the gear, you had the, the torches to obviously get you through the darker, colder extremes. But when that alarm initially goes off and you reach for your phone, is there something that, like, is there something that goes through your head that pulls you out of the bed? Yes. Um, I mean, one of them is, was the starting line, you know, Naples. Just like, okay. If I want to do well in Naples, I know that I need to do some certain things in my training to get this. So that was a mental cue, like, okay, we got it. We got to get this in and we got to go do this. Um, second is, you know, the family and um, getting everything done with the vlog and the training before, let's say, dinner time, you know, you know, 12 hours later. So that's another incentive, like a mental cue. Okay. If I don't get up right now, it's going to make the rest of the day a lot harder, not just for me, but for the family, you might experience this as well, but like, there's nothing quite, um, I think us runners, there's a lot of a good, um, mental health and strength that happens for me personally, when I do kind of have uh i have a lot of training done let's say before 7 a.m like it's just like wow like the mm -hmm. train like you just like you have the rest of the day to accomplish so many different things like mm -hmm. i don't know for me mentally it's a huge bonus personally
A hundred percent. You feel like you're ahead on the day. You feel like you've got the draw on the day that if, and especially in the winter months, if you've got everything banked before the sun's even coming up, I mean, you feel like a king, like everything else is just bonus, you know? Exactly. Exactly. It's especially, amazing. especially over here. Cause we're in the UK, like, you know, in normal times, pre COVID, especially for like the London marathon, the lion's share of everyone's training is done in those, in those winter months. So it is about, like you say, like having, having that discipline, having those mental cues or, you know, be it family time or whatever in order to sort of pull you through. What I'm, what I'm also really interested in, because obviously, obviously you're a huge runner, but you're also, you're also a YouTuber as well. And I, I think that term YouTube, it can be a bit of a catch-all term because I think, and I think you would probably say this as well, you're also a filmmaker because you're, mm. you know, effectively constructing a narrative daily for people to to watch and and consume and like it's really notable with your vlogs there's a real um there's a skill to the videography the coverage that you get the shots that you're thinking about in order to tell whatever that narrative is for your yeah. daily vlog and i'd love to know where where did that come from where did that seed where was it sown for you that love of of a videography of filmmaking was it was it movies that inspired you did you did you did you study it where did where did that come from for you yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. It there's uh, probably a couple different ways to answer, but the number one is definitely my dad. So he was a photographer. So he taught me um, framing. So how to frame a shot, and how to light a shot. So what you know, using the natural light of the sun, and now that's a little more on the technical side. And he was a photographer. He wasn't a videographer. So over time, I did, you know, I was raised, you know, watching movies. And I don't know, I, I guess, you know, you have your IQ and you have your EQ. So your your EQ is your emotional intellig intelligence. Um, and I think I have uh, an ability to know what storylines and plot lines and videography is necessary to evoke an emotion in people you know everything from the shots to what i say to the music choices to now it becomes really challenging daily mm -hmm. uh now i you know i've committed to that and i enjoy it and i i've told other people in the past like it's it's definitely not for everybody i wouldn't recommend it you have to know know yourself and your own personality, uh, but for me, it um, it just works, and it, it's gotten so much easier over the last five years, um, and especially over the last, I would say, twelve months actually, where it's you just you get into a good solid rhythm of filming of storytelling. Of course, you know I do have aspirations to make higher quality documentaries someday and like really high quality stuff but in the meantime you know that kind of that daily tinkering of storytelling and i just feel grateful that we have youtube you know and we can communicate through youtube on a global scale mm. and the fa the fact that you know i'm talking to you right now is absolutely <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> you know no, it's, it's <laughs> awesome like it's so it's incredible to see, especially this year as well, especially the year, well, this year just gone, to be more accurate. 2020 feels like that sort of growth of communities connecting with one another has kind of grown, um, yeah. grown exponentially. But like, I, I would love to see your take on a, on a full-blown running documentary because there is a real, 
especially one you did recently. I think it was uh, it was something to do with you getting a COVID test. That was it. At the sure. um, and at the end of the vlog, you just left the camera running, just filming you and your wife sat down at the table. Like there was a real, I don't know, there was a real sense of consideredness behind that shot that sort of elevates sure. a lot of your content above the sort of traditional kind of kind of YouTube um, content I think that's is it's really interesting like is that is that something that you're actively working towards then sort of longer form kind of stuff are you sticking with daily vlogging for the time being yeah I think um oh man for and again the daily vlog it's um I well first I've been doing it almost five years and I just enjoy, I enjoy the process or else I wouldn't be doing it. So that's where, again, people have to understand themselves. Like if you don't enjoy it um, or you don't find joy in the process, it, you know, it, it'll, it'll make you miserable. So you have to really find joy in it. And I want to stick to the daily vlog, you know, for a long time, but at the same time, I'm very open to bigger projects and uh, I think it's going to happen. Um, I, th I think it's definitely going to happen. For example, the Hard Rock 100 is a big 100-mile race here in Colorado that I'm hoping to film this summer uh, down in Silverton, Colorado. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of potential. And, again, it's back to that EQ. And then what does it take to frame the shot to evoke an emotion in people um, that makes them really think about you know, their life or their running or their goals for that day. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, always kind of thinking about that in my, in my head. And with that EQ constantly turning then in terms of actually, cause you've been doing this for five years. Yeah. Like that's unbelievable. Like as a, as a work ethic, but in terms of actually being like the idea of being present within your life, like just existing as a normal human being, are you finding do you find it hard to switch that part, that EQ part of your brain off? Like, are you constantly walking into a room and thinking, oh, no, I need to put the camera over there and then come back in again? Or I need to stick the camera in the fridge now and just do this other piece of the camera? Like, <laughs> does does that does that part... Or, or are you making decisions as well about, actually, you know what, I don't want to show this part of my day yeah. or I, I don't want to include yeah. this part. Like, is how, how does that balance work with you if you're doing it daily for, for five years? You know, I think... Uh... It's a great question. I, I, I love, I do love working hard, but I also love resting. <laughs> um, people, people don't, people probably don't think that, but like, you know, Bridget, True Love and I, we love to go on like staycations where we'll go to a little, you know, hotel in the mountains and just get away for two nights or something like that. And so I, as I do love working hard, but I, there I've learned over time when to turn it off, meaning my brain from the, sh you know, what shot do I need? Uh, where to place the camera? How does this fit into the kind of the storyline for the day? Um, some, and you know, like when I film in the studio, those are kind of day off vlogs where I talk for 10 minutes and I'm not filming all day long. So it's kind of a, um, that's a little bit of a kind of trick that I have is that it is a daily vlog, but I'm standing in the studio for 10 minutes talking or 15 minutes or whatever it is. And 
that's it. Like, I don't have to carry, here's the camera right here. I don't have to carry. Oh, it's a beast. <laughs> it's a beast. I don't have to, I don't have to carry the camera with me all day long mm. filming. So um, I've learned over time when to kind of go all in and film all these amazing, crazy shots, you know, for six hours. And then when to just like, I, I actually, today's vlog, I'm already done filming for the day. Um, I did it, you know, this morning and now I just have to edit. And you mentioned there about the, the studio and I know people listening, if they are subscribers and if they're not, then I mean, quite frankly, what the hell are you doing? Get on YouTube and subscribe <laughs> immediately. Um, you know, there's a lot of st kind of stock phrases that people will be kind of know you for, like the studio and stuff like that. But one that I think is really, really impressive and I think testament to you as a YouTuber is the, is the DGR kind of global running community. And yeah. this, this huge worldwide community that you've amassed through your YouTube. I mean, where did the idea for that come from? And, and is that a source for you of kind of daily inspiration and, and you know, kind of driving you forward when you're producing content and stuff? It definitely, I mean, as far as the motivation, absolutely. I will mention though, I've been, I've been going for five years and you know, we recently passed, I think, you know, 120,000 subscribers, which is amazing. But we did, I did two and a half, almost three years of daily vlogs with less than a thousand subscribers. Okay. So the growth, so just so everyone, like it just doesn't happen with a snap of the finger. Like it's been a long process. And I think a lot of people get discouraged on YouTube or anywhere in social media, if they're trying to build a community uh, um, where they, they expect it to happen immediately. And I just have to say, like, patience it, is yeah. the game. Patience Ca really caveat that massively. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because you pivoted to running kind of on your channel within the sort of last two years. Is that fairly accurate? Exactly. Two, about two and a little over two and a half years ago. And what was that decision then? Because you're primarily, it was it was just daily vlogging, kind of your life. That was kind of what you were sort of saying. What was the decision for you to go, actually, because running's always been a massive part of your life, obviously. What was the decision for you to zero, zero in on the running for the vlog? Yeah, so, and back to the uh, previous question real oh, quick. Yeah, about, no, 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 you're good. And I'll answer, it, it ties in, the globalness. So I'm always saying running is global. You don't need a bike. You don't need a swimming pool. You don't need a, a soccer field or a, a football field. Mm. Um, all you need is your two feet and maybe a pair of running shoes. Like you don't even need a fancy watch. Like, so that's where, when I say DGR, like Demore Global Running, it's like anyone in the world can go out and just go, you know, get a workout in and breathe fresh air um, I think it's, the, it's just such an accessible sport to so many people. Um, so that's one point. And then as far as the pivot to running, I've always been a runner since, you know, middle school, high school, uh, college. And, but I took a little bit of a break after college and I was, you know, I'm a good runner and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, fairly fast, but it's, I'm not like, you know, making it to the Olympics or anything, but I knew that if, as far as, youtube is concerned um when you do niche down and find a focus for a channel youtube naturally is going to share that channel with other people who are interested in running um so anyway that's why i was like wow i guess 
honestly, I didn't realize there were so many people out there in the world who would be willing to watch running content on YouTube. So that's why it took me so long to make that pivot. And then once I did, it's like, whoa, okay, there's this whole group of people out there that are very interested in running on YouTube. So it was really an interesting pivot. But yeah, it was about two and a half years ago. And speaking of pivots, I'd love to pivot back to running with you because I know a lot of people listening because you, yeah, you, you mentioned it then you kind of had a time away from running and then you kind of came back to it. I think it was, was it your brother that encouraged you to get back into sort of mountain running and stuff? And I know a lot of people listening, myself included, kind of maybe first encountered you with all of these runs and races that you were doing in the mountains. And I know you, you might not want to pick one over the other, but is there something specific or interesting or exciting about mountain running that was the thing that drew you back into the sport after being away from it for such a long period of time? You know, mountain running is very interesting and it's been a process to get good at it and to, to be able to go out and compete at a high level. But again, it, it just doesn't happen with a snap of the finger but there's nothing like I love running fast on the roads. It's fun to do that. And it's fun to do it with other people, but to be able to run at high altitude over big mountains, like it's pretty, like not many people in the world can do that. Um, so there's definitely like a sense of adventure when you are in such good fitness, uh, fitness shape that you can go out and you can run at high altitude fast. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that was attractive and yeah, well, you're right. It was my brother who kind of discovered it first and then kind of invited me to tag along. And I started, it was like, oh, this is, this is kind of fun. Like, and we never really, we didn't do like big mountain running as kids. We did more, you know, cross country and track. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a good, it's a good, uh, insight you have there. And, um, that, so it seems with the content at the moment that you seem to be pivoting towards road racing again and finding the love for for being in a pack and being in a group like what is it i mean it feels like a reductive question to compare the two because they are so different but what was it about being in a pack at naples that really has sort of sparked that excitement for you to be back on the road again so this connects to the um Oh man. So this connects to like that macro versus micro and just kind of being open to, so for road running, um, you know, to run five minute pace for 13 miles, which is what I did in Naples. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to do that. I'm 35 years old right now. I don't know if I'll be able to do that when I'm 40 years old. So I realized about, you know, 18 months ago, huh? I guess I, like I was kind of all in on ultra running and mountain running 18 months ago. And I was like, wait a minute. And actually I ran a hundred mile race and I dropped out at 50, um, for, I just, I DNF'd. Um, and that was kind of an eye opening moment where I realized, wait a minute, maybe I need to wait just a, a little bit and do the ultra running and big mountain run or yeah, big, big mountain races like UTMB for when I'm, just a couple more years down the road and still see if I can run fast on the roads. And so that's what I've been doing a little more. So the last 12 months, mm. and it has been very fun to, I was, I was telling, you know, Bridget last night, like there's, if people out there listening, haven't seen the vlog from Naples, like there was six of us or five, I think there was six of us in this pack 
and we all were sharing the lead, which means we all were sharing the responsibility of pacing ourselves and sharing the drafting. So the guys in the front kind of breaking the, the wind for everybody behind them so we draft. And it just was so fun. And that doesn't happen as much in trail running. First of all, you're running at a slower pace. And a lot of times um, the, the, the pack can kind of spread out more depending on the distance of the race. So that's what I'm talking about with the road racing. It is a lot of fun to kind of pack up and work together. And there's this synergy that happens where there's not even much talking happening. It's mostly, yeah, hardly at all. Um, it's just a natural movement within the pack where people are rotating to the front. And it's, it's um, you don't really get to experience that much in this world where there's five or six strangers and you're working together without even talking. It's hard to describe, but <laughs> no, it's kind of one of the beauties of of running is those kind of magical. It's is each race. It always feels like has a real story or a real significant kind of narrative pushed throughout. And I, I can only imagine that that experience of sharing the the pacing and the lead with those guys must have been amazing. I mean, being in the UK and watching it. I mean, even watching a race was quite thrilling because they're <laughs> they're pretty uh, they're pretty thin on the ground um, at the moment. And I know as well with you, with obviously your racing, a lot of people come to watch you race and compete with your YouTube, but they also come to you as, as kind of a wealth of knowledge as well. And you're so open and honest with sharing your your tips and the kind of training that you're doing. And I think a lot of people, myself included, draw a lot from those resources. Like, And thinking on specifically in Naples, there was, there was one thing you were talking about in the vlog recently. One of the things you're looking to improve upon if you ever were to take on a half marathon again was being able to make moves later on in the race. So being able to kick later on like some of your competitors did. Are there going to be specific workouts or specific things you're going to do to give you those tools for those kicks you know mile nine or mile 10 or wherever it would be you know one that jumps out at me is doing you know like um maybe like a five mile tempo that ends at a track and then doing like a three by 3k workout on the track and then you know maybe something after maybe yeah but just like those longer intervals, like 3K, 3 by 3 k on the track that's um, more, than a, more than a 1K, more than a one mile, just to, I, I could just sense that I needed something a little bit longer in an interval session. So that's an example of something that I'm contemplating for the next uh, training block. And actually, tomorrow's vlog is all about future racing. So you have to come back and watch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're recording this on the, the 21st. It's going out on probably on the 25th. So people may well know by the time they're listening there to this. There you go. There you what, go. What races, you're, what your races you're going to be doing. And in terms of the training, like you just then, just off the top of your head, just, just kind of pulled that workout out of thin air. Like where, where are you... Where are you going to when you're constructing your training plans? Is it things that you've learned when you were a track athlete in, in college, in, in university? Is it things that you've absorbed that allow you to be able to, to create your training plans? Or, or are there still people you're in contact with who are kind of mentors who help you sh shape your plans? Or is it all yourself? Yeah, so it's um, – and that's where I, I love to say that the mad scientist. Um, I just love kind of tinkering because, you know, who knows? 
I have aspirations of coaching someday. And a lot of people ask me to be their coach, but I, I know they're the balance of time to do high level training and high level coaching at the same time. It just, I've never really seen it work well. You did just, there's just not enough time in the day. So experimenting with track sessions and workouts and volume, you know, I went up to really high volume this past time, uh, this past training block. Uh, but to answer your question, it definitely comes from mostly my collegiate coach, uh, Mark Wetmore. And then the last, you know, three years of figuring out, okay, this, this has worked, this didn't work. Like even just training for the Amsterdam marathon in 2019, that was my first road marathon that taught me a ton about, um, what to do and what not to do in training. So I, and I do read, I do read, um, and I, I take it all with a little bit of a grain of salt, keeping in mind my experience level and my talent level, uh, my injury history, like I'm always talking about. There's all these little factors that I try to consider, you know, and the fact that this was my fourth consecutive, and I talked about that this today, but this is my fourth consecutive training block with no injury. So that's like a, that's really good. Like you, as long distance runners, if, if we can, if you can keep stacking training blocks on top of each other with no interruptions from injury, that's uh, that's a that's almost a better goal to shoot for than, um, you know, even like setting a PR. Like uh, a P, obviously PRs are fun and they're great, but like if you can stack those training blocks back to back to back, man, it's uh, it's just you know, that aerobic benefit is, is huge. Anyway, I'm on a tangent now. <laughs> no, oh God, no, I love it. I love it. I think that's so true. It's funny, I was talking to another guest about this, about the longevity of it and just hearing you talk about piling on those training blocks on top of each other. Like PRs are great, but they're short-lived. The greatest thing I feel with running is the, the ability to just to be able to keep doing it. Like you yeah. talk about injuries and um, just recently discovered a, a stress fracture, which has put me out for the next sort of oh. six weeks. And I know a lot of people listening, obviously runners, it's, you know, one of the most injury prone sports in the, in the goddamn world. Like yeah. what have been, I know you have had injuries in, in those moments, like after initial diagnosis mentally, like how do you kind of equate that? How do you deal with it? And what is your, what things do you, I don't know, you write a lot of stuff on your hands when you're in races, like mantras or, or, or key phrases to get you through, you know, yeah. specific athletes. Are, are there other equivalents for getting through periods of injury or bouts of injury that you kind of focus in on? Mm. I do. I'm just asking for myself more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, I know, I do, because... You know, it's uh, it's very difficult, and stress fractures are hard because there's not much you can do as far as rehab except to rest and then you know cross train maybe in a pool. Um, it's just yeah, it, it can be it can be difficult. I mean, um, as far as I guess motivation to do some cross training, so on a bike or in a pool, uh, you know, keeping in mind that bigger macro level uh, aerobic development is good. I also think. Um, you know, <laughs> I've been injured in the past and I feel like I've actually come back stronger because it really allows, it really allows your body to have a huge reset. Now, depending on each individual circumstance, but where you can really recover and 
you'll be amazed at how quickly your fitness returns once you do start running. And I have experienced in the past where I've actually, I took third place. No, no, I took second place in the Pikes Peak Ascent, which is a 13 mile race up a 14,000 foot mountain here in Colorado off of, um, I think it was a seven to eight week training block because, and I was coming off of injury. Um, this was in 2019, I think. I had a stress reaction in my left foot and I came back and then I didn't have much time to train, but sure enough, I still did really well in that race. I think a, because I was one of them was because I was really recovered and because I think I had to take like six weeks of no running. And then, uh, you know, I was cross training in the pool a little bit, but I wasn't like going crazy. So anyway, um, that might be something like, yeah, it's bad. It's, you know, you, you love to run, but at the same time, your body is getting a big reset where you can be really recovered and refreshed for the future. Anyway, just a thought. No, okay. it's, it's a huge thought. And I think, yeah, the people will, um, it, when you're sort of, when you're presented with an injury, it's, it's, it's those words, the wisdom from other people and other runners that, and the community, you know, that, yeah. that are the things that galvanize you to go, okay, yes, this will be better. I will come back stronger. It will be worth it in the end because it's it's the thing that you love ultimately. And it's, it sometimes can be easy to to forget that. So I just wanted to ask you one last thing. It's one thing that we ask all of our guests and apologies for throwing it on you last minute. Don't worry, oh, it's no. not some hardcore algebra or equations <laughs> or anything. I just saw your face turn and I was Good, like... Because- That'll go right over my head. <laughs> Here is my tax return. Could you do it for me? Um, <laughs> no. Uh, the greatest bit of advice you've ever been given or you've heard that you'd like to share with people listening who are runners about running or about the sport of running or anything in particular off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, there's, uh, you know, probably a lot of different ways to answer. Mm. Um and you know and there's a lot of different um ways to absorb the answer so how when people are people are listening i always you know i always try to keep in mind like everyone's at a different stage of life different stage of running different stage of so many you know some people that you know watch you on you know youtube or watch the channel like they're they've been running for three weeks and some people have been, you know, running for third, you know, three decades. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, you know, they want to, ch- they want to, you know, I'm a pretty good runner, but I also know my talent level. I know like where I live in the, in the running world, as far as competing at a high, high level. And, um, but I do think setting personal goals in life and in running can just make the daily grind of maybe you have an hour commute to work and back every day, or maybe like it just makes, honestly, I know it sounds crazy, but life a little more fun um, to shoot for goals on a regular basis. And that's why I'm always saying like turning that doorknob, like, that motivation to get out there and run. And when I say that, turn that doorknob, meaning the front door to your house, your condo, your apartment, wherever you live. uh, It's like, that's a little goal that we runners, I think have a leg up on the rest of society because we 
have a little goal like, okay, I'm going to make sure I turn the doorknob tomorrow morning at 530 while everybody else is sleeping because I know it's not going to be easy. But when I get back from that run, the rest of the day is going to be so much more enjoyable. And when you start stacking, you know, a week and then a month and then months on end with that type of joy that we get as runners by turning that doorknob, um, I think it just, it makes life more fun, more fun and more enjoyable. And I know it sounds a little selfish, but it's like this world is a crazy world. And I think the more joy we can find in the crazy world, the better. So that, anyway, that's my little thought for the night. <laughs> that is a beautiful sentiment to, to end on. Um, Seth, thank you so much for, for taking the time and coming on and being a guest on The Big Run. Thank you so much, man. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Big thank you to Seth for taking the time to sit down and chat with us over Zoom. Slightly shorter than our regular schedule episodes, but he's a very busy man. So again, thank you for for sitting down and chatting with us, Seth. We appreciate it. Next week's guest is about to be recorded, so no sneak preview. Although I am enjoying the mystery of not quite giving it away. Uh, But needless to say, it's another fantastic guest. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at The Big Run Podcast or on Twitter at The Big Run Pod. And you can follow my return, my slow return, but it is a return on Instagram at Danny Runs Some. And like I said at the top, if you are listening on a platform where you're able to leave a review or a rating and you enjoyed today's episode, then feel free to leave one. If not, then no worries either. And as always, if you're able to, Injury-free and in sound body and mind, get out there and get running.